Let's open our Bibles to 2 Kings 18 and consider three temptations brought to Hezekiah and how he handled them. 2 Kings 18. We looked at three chapters in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, and 31. They are unique descriptions, meaning that they're not found in Kings or Isaiah, of his reformation of the worship, his great Passover, and his continuation of things in Judah that it would last beyond just that one year or his reign by encouraging the giving to the preachers for God's word to be preached in every place throughout the 12 tribes. But now we, we're going to see three temptations that come against him. The first one is going to be a temptation by Assyria in that Sennacherib is going to bring an army against him. Now, Sennacherib is the king of the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And he makes quite a bit of headway by coming into Judah and taking all the defensed cities. One place it's called fenced, meaning it was defensed. It had a wall and it was a garrison and it could defend itself. Other places it's called defensed. But when we look at this, we want to consider the lessons that we can learn. Obedience does not guarantee a lack of trials. Job was a faithful man, but it was because of his faithfulness he had trials in his life. David was a man that God loved and who was a man after God's own heart. But look at the trials in David's life for many years. Jesus was the Son of God, but when he obeyed in the waters of baptism, the Bible tells us he was immediately driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where after 40 days of hungering, he was tempted by the devil in three unique temptations in rapid succession. It's a device of the devil. And the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of his devices. The Apostle Paul had many evil circumstances and temptations in his life, though he was a very faithful apostle. I want you to know as we look at this, that though Hezekiah had been very obedient, God can still bring trials into your life. He wants to put your faith to the test. And your faith can't be put to much test in prosperity, though Hezekiah will get that in temptation number three, by God blessing him. If you look at 2 Kings 18, we can find out the success that Assyria had had against the nation of Israel. Verse 9 tells us it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosheah, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosheah, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria took them captive and hauled them off to different places in the cities of the Medes. Why did that happen to ten tribes? Twelve tells us. Verse 12, Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed His covenant made on Mount Sinai, and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. And one of those commandments was to keep the Passover And Hezekiah had sent posts out with a proclamation, we need to keep the Passover. And they had mocked them to scorn. And so just a few years later, 
Right here in the sixth year of Hezekiah's reign, the ten tribes are taken captive. Now, if you're King Hezekiah and you see God's people, ten-twelfths of them, taken captive by the Assyrians, it leaves an impression that God is deserting and that Assyria is strong. You need to consider the fear, perplexity, and turmoil considered by these facts and that the rest of the nations of the world trembled before the Assyrians. But Christians should always remember this lesson. No matter what happens to others, even if they're close to us, in family, in situation in life, in church, no matter what happens to others, God's power still stands for faithful saints. He will still deliver. So that shouldn't have moved Hezekiah. But what we find in verses 13 through 16 is a unique description of him buying off or attempting to buy off Sennacherib. He takes all the silver out of the Lord's house, out of his house, out of his treasuries, and he's short of what Sennacherib says he wants. So he cuts the gold off the doors of the house of the Lord and gives them to Sennacherib. And that's what we have in four verses. Now the Lord doesn't say a thing about it, doesn't rebuke him, so we do not understand exactly what was happening. We can imagine the fear and the turmoil that the man was in as the armies approached, because verse 14 tells us that King Sennacherib of Assyria came up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Eight years earlier, he had taken the ten tribes. Now he's taken everything else that there was in Judah except Jerusalem. If we compare this to Second Chronicles chapter 32, here's what I want to, I want to suggest, two alternatives. You say, that's, that's unusual for you to suggest two alternatives. Well, I'm going to tell you which one I suggest first and which one I suggest second. The Bible does not criticize Hezekiah for this act. And when other kings had done things like this, looking for help elsewhere, the Lord criticized them. But he doesn't here. And you know, we've already read a statement that he trusted in the Lord and did not depart from him like no other king before or after. You want to keep all that in mind. But when you go to Second Chronicles 32, when this event happens, what does Hezekiah do? He takes defensive measures and is prepared to fight. So something happened between him trying to buy off Sennacherib and him making defensive measures. Because he's willing to fight. And when Rabshakeh comes, the first question he asks is, how in the world are you going to put up a fight? He knew that Hezekiah was prepared to defend the city of Jerusalem. So there was something that happened in there. Can a man have a weak moment? Can a man get scared and do something that he shouldn't have? And can he feel bad about it an hour later? A day later? A week later? Can a prophet of God like Isaiah help you feel bad about it? Something happened in there. Because if you compare the two passages, in one, he's saying, I have offended. What can I pay you so that you'll leave and go home? And he's even cutting off gold from the house of the Lord. And the other one, he's getting all the princes of Israel out there. They're stopping up the water. They're, they're increasing their inventory of shields and darts. They're walling up the cities. They are going to fight. And do you know what his words were to the people? Don't you worry about a thing. The Lord God is going to defend this city. 
And the people took comfort in his words. So there was some change in Hezekiah. Alternative number two for those of you that want a second alternative. What we find in 2 Kings 18 is him just buying time for his defensive measures. But was there cause to be afraid? There was a lot of cause to be afraid. Was it a common practice to try to buy them off? Go read the chapters in front of 2 Kings 18 and you'll find that his father had done it. And Israel was used to doing it. They also looked to Egypt for their help. The Assyrians were used to nations like Israel. It was small, looking to Egypt for help, trying to build a confederacy where Egypt would help fight with them against Assyria. The Lord doesn't criticize him right here. We are aghast at him taking gold off the house of the Lord. He should have been in the house of the Lord praying the first time like we find him shortly. And we wonder about that, and the Lord does not rebuke him in the matter. But we see a tremendous change come over him, either because that was a ploy to buy time, or he repented because Isaiah came to him and told him, that is wrong, what you have just done. You're putting your trust in your ideas and your methods and your strategies, your tactics, when the Lord can deliver this city, because his words in Second Chronicles 32 are powerful and potent. He is, he is taking ordinary, natural means to defend Jerusalem, and he's trusting the Lord to take care of him. The Lord is able, the Lord is able, and he is willing to bring to bear in your life severe tests. And you should never forget that. This was a severe test. For Hezekiah. And by the way, I don't want to just introduce this later because I want you thinking about it right now. This is when he got his terminal illness. Right here. He got them both at the same time. How many years did he reign? 29. How many years were extended after his sickness? 15. Which would take us back to what year of his reign? The 14th year of his reign. Is that the year that Sennacherib came? Right there in verse eight, verse 13, it tells us, 2 Kings 18, 13, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come? Now you can prove it numerous other ways as well. Because the answer of the Lord to King Hezekiah on his sickbed was, I'm going to raise you up from the sickbed and give you 15 years. And the king of Assyria isn't going to touch you. Right. I'll defend this city. It all went together. But what I want to say to you is sometimes God can bring temptations and he can bring more than one. Like he did Job. Like he did David. Like he did the Lord Jesus Christ. And you had better be prepared for them. And do you know how we get prepared? We read chapters like Second Kings 18 and 19 and we get excited about God defending his city. Right. And God healing his man. And then God forgiving his man and giving him peace for the rest of his life. We need to hurry through these two chapters. This event in his life is given the most pages in Scripture. The event of Sennacherib coming, the great king of Assyria. Rabshak, he's a spokesman for him, one of his leaders. And he sends him and he ridicules the Jews and he ridicules their God. He makes fun of their God. He compares his ability to overthrow their God like he's overthrown all the nations that worship other gods. He ridicules Hezekiah's reformation. 
For those of you that have read it, and I'm presuming upon you that you have read it, did you notice how he said, you Jews that are trusting in the God Jehovah in the city of Jerusalem, how in the world he's gonna, is he going to help you since Hezekiah has torn down so many of his altars and restricted it to one altar in Jerusalem? Well, that's a pagan idea of religion, that there ought to be altars everywhere so that everyone can worship the way they want to. Little did he know that what Hezekiah was doing was spelling his defeat because there was one altar that was to be worshipped at, and it was the altar in Jerusalem, and Hezekiah had consecrated that altar and consecrated the priests around that altar. It did not spell good things for him. He mocked the Jews in their language. You know, some of those counselors, Hezekiah wouldn't go out to meet Rabshakeh. He could have been on his sickbed. He was sick unto death. So he sends some ambassadors out, and the ambassadors say, don't speak in the Jews' language. We understand Syrian. Speak to us in Syrian. All that does is stir Rabshakeh up a little bit more. This pagan was all worked up against Judah, Jerusalem, Hezekiah, and most of all, Jehovah. But the Lord will have the last laugh in this matter. The first thing that we find, and you can read all the way through 2 Kings 18, and it's Rabshakeh making fun of the Jews, making fun of Hezekiah, making fun of Jehovah God, and telling them what he's going to do to them, and that even if he were to give them 2,000 horses, he did not believe that they could find 2,000 soldiers worthy to put on those 2,000 horses to come and try him. He said, if I were to look among all the, the army that we've brought here from Nineveh, I can't find men so low that you could defeat them. The, the least of our captains are better than anything you've got. And he's just blasting this out. And the Jews are standing up there in the city walls and they don't say a word because Hezekiah had told them, don't say a word because Hezekiah had comforted them that the Lord would defend them. That brings us to chapter 19. Chapter 19, Hezekiah sends to Isaiah and says, pray for us. Do you hear what's going on? Pray for us that the God of heaven has heard what's going on, and he'll come and defend us. His first request, and these are some of the little lessons. His first request is for Isaiah to pray for them. And Isaiah does, and Isaiah sends back a message. And we can find that here in verse 6. Isaiah said unto them, these are the messengers from Hezekiah asking him to pray, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. There is a short prophecy, perfectly fulfilled, within a short period of time. This is the first answer. Then we find out that the rumor arrives to Sennacherib. He withdraws his forces from Lachish to Libna. He sends Rabshakeh back. Just because I've moved my army, don't think you're going to get away from me. As soon as I take care of the Ethiopians and the Egyptians, I'll be back to take care of your little city. So a letter arrives from Sennacherib via Rabshakeh to make fun of Jehovah again. Now this time, 
Hezekiah has been encouraged. And so he doesn't call for Isaiah to pray. Hezekiah takes that letter. Now he's got it in writing. He asks Isaiah to pray about what Rabshakeh had said. Did God hear it? Now he has it in writing. He goes into the temple of the Lord and he lays it before the Lord. Do you want to hear a prayer? You don't have to pray long. Just pray fervently and pray reverently and give God the glory. Here it is, verse 15, 2 Kings 19. O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. That's all you need to pray. Do you like that prayer? Learn to pray like that. Learn to exalt God, glorify Him, adore Him and worship Him. Bless Him and then call on Him to vindicate Himself. Call on Him to glorify Himself. Call on Him to do something that will magnify Him throughout the earth. He will do it. This is holy reasoning in prayer and Hezekiah did it repeatedly. Do not pray for your glory. Pray for God's glory. Because God is jealous of his glory. And to think that Sennacherib and Rabshakeh were making fun of him and saying that he was no different than the gods of all the other nations they had destroyed, all he needed was a little encouragement from Hezekiah and he was going to take matters into his own hands. And he did. Praise the Lord. Now do you want to hear his answer? I can't read the whole thing to you, but if you want some pleasant reading, it's God's answer and it's in 19 and it begins... At verse 20. Let me get it started for you. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I have heard. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Amen. He was a righteous man. He prayed fervently. He went into the temple of the Lord and laid that down. And you can read his prayer. And he prayed effectually. He prayed reasoning for God's glory. And the Lord heard his prayer. James 5.16. We see this lesson given to us. Never forget the power of reasoning in prayer about God's glory. The first time he used Isaiah to pray. This time he prayed himself. And I want to encourage each one of you, if you will come to the Lord with a righteous life and pray fervently and pray by the Bible's rules for effectual praying, God will hear from heaven. Verse 21. This is the word that the Lord hath spoken 
concerning him. Hezekiah, Isaiah speaking, this is what God thinks of Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? He identifies to Sennacherib, although it's coming to Hezekiah from Isaiah, how God has taken this kind of speech against Jerusalem, Hezekiah, and against the God of the Jews. He has taken it personally. Who do you think you are? The virgin daughter of Zion has laughed you to scorn. You've blasphemed me. And then he goes and describes some of the pompous language of Sennacherib. Verse 23 is pompous language about how great he is. It is in place of Sennacherib. God is ridiculing his self-praise. Verse 24 is the same. But verse 25 is a change. Now God says to Sennacherib in this answer from Isaiah, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it? And of ancient times that I have formed it? Didn't you know, idiot, that I have planned all along to use you like a puppet on a string? Now, I didn't give you a chapter to read. I know Brother Gerald was all over it yesterday. Isaiah 10 I did have a limit when I gave you 11 chapters, but there is a chapter, and it's Isaiah 10, where God specifically describes that it wasn't in Sennacherib's heart to do his will, but Sennacherib didn't do anything that wasn't God's perfect will. He describes Sennacherib as a saw in the hand of a man that shakes it. A handsaw. You have to pull and push back and forth to have the saw work. And the Lord in Isaiah 10 describes... Sennacherib as being the saw, and he's the hand. He said, it wasn't in his heart to obey me, but I've used him, and as soon as I'm done using him, I'm going to pound him. And his army's going to be so small, when I get done with it, a child will be able to number them. You know, numbering a big army in the field was a difficult task, but not Sennacherib's when the Lord got done with it. That's all in Isaiah 10. And if you want to continue on this subject, you will want to go read Isaiah 10. And for those of you fathers who want another chapter, go read Isaiah 58. Go read Isaiah 58 and find out there that by your godliness, you can have come out of your loins those that will be repairers of the breaches. You can have sons and grandsons like Hezekiah if you will live a righteous life. It's in Isaiah 58. It's a short chapter, and it's wonderful. 10 is short. It's wonderful. Verses 5 through 21 of chapter 10 are about Sennacherib. But right now, Isaiah is telling Hezekiah, the Lord heard your prayer, and this is what he thinks of Sennacherib. That he's always had Sennacherib in mind just to use him for a little while. He's the Lord of the kings of the earth. When the Bible says that Jesus is king of kings, do you think that's just some flowery title? Or does he have a rod of iron? And he sits on the throne of the universe, all angels and principalities and powers being subject to him. When it says king of kings, he is the king with absolute despotic power. 
over all kings. He is the Lord of lords. Though they be lords many that are upon earth, there is one Lord in heaven, and he's the Lord of all. Now have I brought it to pass, the second half of verse 25, that thou shouldest be to lay waste fenced cities into ruinous heaps. The only way, the only way you could do this is because I was using you. Verse 26, therefore their inhabitants were of small power. You think you're so strong with the Assyrian army? The only reason you could defeat these other nations and defeat these cities was because I hindered them and favored you in order for you to win just for me to use you for a little while. You idiot. You blasphemous idiot. Didn't you know this from the beginning that you're just my puppet? I love our God. I love him. I love this passage. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. Why didn't he use son of Zion? Because the girls that were in that city that were praying were empowering the God of heaven to come to their rescue and tear this man to shreds, which he's going to do in short order. Verse 27, I know thy abode. I know how wicked you are, Sennacherib. Thy going out, thy coming in, thy rage against me. Because your rage has come up, and this is a verse that my wife picked out as one of her favorites, so I'll share it with you. Because your rage has come up and your tumult has come up into mine ears. This is verse 28. Therefore, I will put my hook in thy nose. I will put a hook in your nose and my bridle in thy lips. And I will turn thee back by the way of which thou camest. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and I'm going to lead you around like a ring in your nose. This is Sennacherib, the king of the most powerful empire. This is God. This is how He speaks. This is how we should pray. This is how we should worship. This is how we should exalt Him. This is the greatness of God. There is nothing going on in our world that you need to worry about. That little nation over there, China, that thinks itself is something because they have finally come into the 20th century, are nothing. Absolutely nothing. There is nothing to fear. We're to fear the Lord and put our trust in Him. He will defend Battles have never been won by military prowess. They are won by which side God has determined to win. And sometimes he allows an, an, an evil pagan enemy to win for the chastening purposes against his own people. Then he turns and destroys them, just like he did Assyria. Because the Babylonians took care of them. And then he says some comforting words in verse 29 to Hezekiah that this wasn't going to be a short-term blessing, but it was going to last. And he mentioned several years, but he points out, I know that you're wondering, what in the world are you going to eat? Because the Assyrian army has eaten everything up in Judah. And because you've been holed up, walled up in this city, you're wondering what you're going to eat? I will bless the land so that it will spring up of itself in the first year and in the second year. You don't even have to be in a hurry. In the third year, you can go ahead and plant yourself. Now, did the Lord do that on other occasions? Yeah. The, the seventh, every seventh year of release and every year of Jubilee, he had to do it two years in a row. And he does it right here. See, he's switching from Hezekiah to Sennacherib to himself back to Hezekiah. All in this answer from the Lord. Verse 32, Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, Now, how do you end a war without any arrows being shot? 
nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. What does the Bible say about all nations that forget God? He'll turn them into hell. Psalm 9, 16 and 17. Are there the nations of the world that are worshiping their ancestors, that are worshiping Buddha, that are worshiping the Hindu gods without number, that are worshiping Allah? Does God hear them? Or is he going to turn them into hell? They're only getting away with it for a while. Put your trust in the Lord Jehovah, and he will take care of us against all of them, any of them, at any time. That's one of the lessons that we want to take away from this passage. God laughs last and he laughs best when men mock him. And he mocked Sennacherib. And then he did what Hezekiah probably couldn't have dreamed would happen. Because God is able to deliver you in ways that you can't not even figure out. Does the Bible tell us in Psalm 3-6 in a chorus that Matthew taught us? that though ten thousands should be gathered together against us, I will not be afraid? Does Psalm 27 and verse 3 tell us that though an army should encamp against me, in this will I be confident? Where do we get that kind of confidence? From Second Kings 19, from Second Chronicles 32, and from Isaiah 37. <laughs> That's where we get it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing with the word of God. Verse 35, and it came to pass that night... That night, you say, I wish the Lord would answer my prayers that night. Well, sometimes he may take a few days, he may take a few years, but put your trust in the Lord. Do you know why he takes a little while? The Bible tells us. He wants to see if you'll continue and be importunate. Remember what importunate means? Driving him crazy with your continual coming. That's what it means. You're not going to stop praying. You're not going to give up in praying for something. You're going to keep after the Lord. That's what he wants sometimes. This time wasn't one of those times. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Do those pronouns they refer to two different groups of people? Did the Lord leave a few to go back and actually tell them? The dead corpses didn't get up, did they? Okay, I just want to make sure you're reading your Bibles. It says they twice, and in one place right close at hand, it's the ones that survived, so that they could look into the tents and realize, Sennacherib, we have a problem. The vast majority of our army died last night in their sleep. But brethren, and this is what a bunch of us were having a great deal of pleasure over at break time, Sennacherib did not get to go so easily. Right. He is going to wish that he had died in his sleep. But he's not going to get to die in his sleep because he blasphemed the God of Israel. Many of these men may not have blasphemed the God of Israel. They didn't even know about the God of Israel. They weren't there opening their mouths against the walls of Jerusalem and against God's king Hezekiah. What happened to him? So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. 
Why did he depart? Because he didn't have an army, and he didn't like being alone far from home. And it went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. It was a long ride of several hundred miles, bouncing along in his chariot. Like you, when you drive, you think about things. Sennacherib had time to think about things. What happened? What happened to my army? Those were the mightiest men in my army. Those were my leaders, princes, and rulers. Read all three passages. Rabshakeh was one of them. What happened to my army? What am I going to tell my war council when I get home? How am I going to write a letter to 150, 85,000 mothers about what happened to their sons? What am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell my sons? You got to think about it. Because the Bible tells us that he drove home in shame. Does the Bible tell us that? The Bible tells us that. You got to read all 11 chapters. He went home in shame. And the first, one of the first places he wanted to go was to go ask his God, why did he let that happen? And so he went into the house of his God. He didn't go repent and go to the house of Hezekiah's God, Jehovah. He went to the house of his God, Nisroch. Verse 37, it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, that Adremelech and Sherezer, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. This man had to make an ugly ride home, wondering how he was going to explain total military disaster on the battlefield to everyone in Nineveh, the capital of the empire. When he gets home, he finds out that his God couldn't help him, and he gets killed in his own temple by those that came out of his own bowels. His own sons killed him. Because the God of heaven in wrath was cutting this man down to size, and humiliating him before all nations, just as he had promised he would. At the same time, poor Hezekiah is on his sickbed. He was sick unto death. He had a boil. It could have been a carbuncle, you that are in medical school. A serious carbuncle. We don't know. doesn't matter. It was a fatal disease. He was sick. Unto death, it tells us, in all places where this is accounted. And this is accounted in the three three passages that I've given you. And then Isaiah comes in and tells him, Hezekiah, you're not going to get better. Set your house in order. You're going to die. Now, brethren, when a doctor tells you that you've only got a little while to live, it's one thing. And I hope that then you would have the courage to turn your face to the wall and say, I don't care what the renowned MD just told me. I'm going to call the God of heaven who gave me my life and who can preserve my life. I'm going to call on him right now. But when God sends his man Isaiah in to tell you that you're not going to recover, that's pretty serious. That's different than a doctor saying it. They're guessing. To an extent, the Lord's not. But the Lord is merciful, and he's ever merciful. Hezekiah is not moved. Now, when the Bible says that Hezekiah put his trust in the Lord and clave unto him like no kings before or after, right here is one of the cases. What would you do? If after the doctor told you you had a terminal illness, then the Lord came in and said, it's true, it's terminal. Get your house in order and hurry about it because you shall not live. What would you do? 
What did David do when God said the child shall die? What did they both do? Pray. Pray. Verse 2, he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Weeping is part of showing fervency in prayer. Now his effectual praying, remember there's several words in that statement. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. His tears are one way of showing fervency. The effectual nature of his prayer is he appealed to the things he had done in his life. And this is not arrogance. This is not pride. This is not self-righteousness. This is noble praying. Do you know that Nehemiah did it in Nehemiah 5 and Nehemiah 11 and 13? Nehemiah prayed the same way. Remember me for the good that I have done for your kingdom and your house. David said, the Lord will show himself merciful to the merciful. The Lord will show himself righteous to the righteous. David said, the Lord delivered me because of my righteousness. Psalm 18. Hezekiah prayed the same way. The Lord already knew how much Hezekiah desired the great glory of God by Hezekiah's life of 14 years of worshiping him zealously and of praying for his glory in the matter of Sennacherib. But on this occasion, when it's dealing with his own personal life, he says, remember the things that I have done in your service. And the Lord heard and the Lord saw. Isaiah couldn't even get far away from him in the king's palace. And you know, we've rejoiced about this. And we never want to forget it. And when you're facing difficulties that you do not know how to solve, turn to the wall and pray. You say, well, what if I can't raise the tears? Then fast and pray, because the Bible says some kind do not leave except by prayer and fasting. Show your fervency. I fear that we do not pray like we should. We do not pray as fervently as we could and should. It's the most powerful thing you can do for any part of your life by a factor that is indescribable. There is no human means that can ever come close to prayer. No human means can ever work without prayer. Pray. Pray the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Discouraging news is going to come in your lifetime. That doesn't prove that God that you're in God's disfavor. It's your response to that discouraging news that means everything. How will you respond? Will you be like Job? The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he fell down and worshipped. In all this, Job did not charge God foolishly, nor sin with his mouth. Times are going to come that are hard. But let's respond to them the Bible way. Let's respond to them the Hezekiah way. Before Isaiah could get out of the middle court of the king's house, God said, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, one sentence long, against the wall, not in church, in a bed, with a big ugly boil on him. I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. 
When you go without food and you go without food intentionally for the glory of God and to show him your earnestness in prayer, he sees, hears, feels the pangs of hunger that you are giving to him as a gift to show him your earnestness in the matter that you're beseeching him for. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. This is so unusual in the Bible. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Now do you see them coming together? Both those events were at the same time. Because he only got fifteen years. And he only reigned twenty-nine. So he must have been sick in the fourteenth. Fourteenth is when Sennacherib came. I hope you see it clearly. Because I want to tell you. I want to tell you something. I've told you this many times before. You may have something negative in your life. And you're begging God for it. You're wrestling with the Lord for it. And then something else bad happens in your life. That is not God giving you an answer to your prayer. That is God seeing if you're going to keep on praying. What example do we have in the Bible that I've told you so many times? It's when Jacob was wrestling with the angel. He was wrestling with that angel all night. And then that angel touched his hip and put his thigh out of joint, which makes it very difficult to wrestle. Things went from bad to worse is the way I like to tell you. But that was just before the blessing. Don't you dare stop wrestling because something else bad happens. If you, if you feel a twinge in your heart and a thought in your mind, the Lord doesn't care about me. That is a fiery dart from hell flung by the devil himself. Hold up the shield of faith and quench that fiery dart and you lay hold of the Lord and be like the widow that assaulted the phone lines of the unjust judge. Though he didn't fear God or man, and he certainly didn't care about that widow woman, I will avenge her of her enemies, lest by her continual coming she drive me into an insane asylum. That's the Bible. You know what that story was told for? How that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He prayed. Praise the Lord for this. And Isaiah said, put a lump of figs on that boil. And he recovered in the three days. But Hezekiah said, listen, not in the annals of all the scriptures that I know has God promised a man years like this. You know, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Well, Hezekiah knew that he was going to live for the next 15 years times 365 days. So he says, how can I know it for sure? Isaiah said, this this is the sign that God will give you. How would you like the shadow to move in your father Ahaz's sundial? Well, Hezekiah is feeling pretty good about his 15 years. He says, it'd be a little thing if it went down. I mean, if the Lord just moved things up a little way, that wouldn't mean as much. Move it backward. Verse 11, Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Now, brethren, i got to summarize here because of time. If you read all the passages, here's what happened. That phenomenon was known throughout the world. The ambassadors from Babylon came to visit Hezekiah because their sundials had confirmed what had happened in Jerusalem. It tells us that last verse, or next to last verse, chapter 32, Chronicles. They came about the wonder that was done in the land 
the sun moving backward. Because of Assyria being defeated at the gates of Judah without a battle being fought and Sennacherib going home to ignominy and shame and death, because of Hezekiah being cured of an incurable disease and of a fatal illness, and because of the sundial moving backward, the Bible tells us in Second Chronicles 32 that Hezekiah became famous throughout the whole earth and presents and gifts flowed into Jerusalem and to Hezekiah from all nations. I want you to know the difference that God can make with a Sennacherib who thought he was at the height of power and Hezekiah who was possibly afraid of him at times. Yet the reversal and put Hezekiah up on high and the sons killing Sennacherib. That is how the Lord can come and defend you if you'll put your trust in him. Money, wealth, prestige flowed to Hezekiah so that he was known from that point for the rest of his life as a very famous man. And the ambassadors from Babylon came. We have his third temptation. How do you handle prosperity and praise? Do you know that the book of Proverbs tells you that a man to his praise is one of the greatest measures of character. When you are praised, how do you handle it? Does it puff you up with pride? Second Chronicles 32, verses 23 through the end of the chapter tell us that it puffed up Hezekiah with pride. His heart was lifted up. The Bible also tells us that the Lord left him to show him what was in his heart. When you're a Job, the Lord can bring circumstances into your life to show you that you're not perfect yet. And Job wasn't perfect until he got to the end of the book of Job and says, I think I just better stop talking. Forgive me, Lord. And Hezekiah humbled himself. The event, although it is loosely connected in the three passages, the event of his pride that the Lord singled out was him showing the ambassadors from Babylon everything in Jerusalem, in the temple of the Lord, and in his house, all the wealth. His words to Isaiah were, I showed them everything. What did they come for? He had been cured from a fatal disease and because of the sundial moving backward. That was the greatest opportunity to have glorified the Lord Jehovah in the history of the world. Do you know what kind of sermon Hezekiah could have preached with that backdrop? And the 185,000? Babylon was no friend of Assyria. Do you know what kind of a backdrop that could have been? But instead, he wanted to show them his wealth. If you go read all three passages carefully, you will find out that here is the connecting point. Hezekiah, the evil will not come on you in your lifetime. It will come on your sons. That is stated in both places, for us to understand that it was the ambassadors from Babylon that was the sin that the Lord singled out of him being lifted up in pride. Because that is said in both cases. That I will I will not bring it on you during your lifetime. I'll bring it on your sons. Prosperity can be a curse. An enemy outside your city walls can be a difficulty. A terminal illness can be a difficulty. But do you know what we often forget? Prosperity, promotion, praise of men can be just as bad or worse. That is why do we love to exalt the prayer of Agur in Proverbs chapter 30 who said, Lord, 
Don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. Give me what's in between. Give me food convenient for me. Give me a comfortable, convenient standard of living without any either of the extremes. I don't want to steal. I don't want to be proud. It's because of this kind of a lesson right here. The Bible tells us about Israel that when God would bless them, Jeshu run waxed fat and kicked in rebellion against the commandments of God because they were feeling so good about themselves in the prosperity God had given them. And God poured out abundance so that he had very much. I read this to you in his epitaph earlier today upon Hezekiah, but he did not respond as he should have. His heart was lifted up in him, but he humbled himself. And Hezekiah said, because you've humbled yourself, it will not happen in your lifetime. And we understand, we have to understand, that when he said, the word of the Lord to me is good, it's not going to happen to me in my lifetime, that wasn't a cruel statement. That was that from Isaiah... Now, now remember, if you read the book of Isaiah, does Isaiah say anything about Babylon taking Judah captive? So did Hezekiah know this was going to happen? Absolutely he knew it was going to happen. See, those words cause people to be alarmed. And if you just read them, you think, well, that's cruel. He's just saying, I don't care what happened to my kids as long as I get to live fat, you know, foot free and fancy here for the next 15 years. He didn't mean it that way. He knew what was coming. Isaiah was his personal preacher. And have you ever read the book of Isaiah? It talks a lot about Babylon and what the Lord was going to do to Judah and then to Babylon. So he understood that. And all he could say was, I know that that's coming. I know the Lord is determined to do that. The word of the Lord is good. And then he said that I'll have peace. Mark the perfect man. And behold the upright. For the end of that man is peace. Rome can burn to the ground. Nebuchadnezzar can come and take the city captive. Hezekiah's sons became eunuchs in the palace of Babylon by God's own prophecy. But that was already settled. And Hezekiah could not alter that. And so he said, the word of the Lord is good in that he's given me peace for my life. Anything you are and anything you have is a gift from God. Give him all the glory. Do not take any glory to yourself. The Lord left Hezekiah to show him what was in his heart. A good prayer is for the Lord not to leave you to show you what is in your heart. You are capable of any sin. You must pray for God to deliver you from temptation just like the Lord Jesus Christ taught. Because you cannot stand without divine help. And let's make sure we pray for a convenient and comfortable life, not one of riches or poverty. I ask, who will live a life to earn an epitaph like Hezekiah? Who will live a life to be like Hezekiah? If you ever want to see a fulfillment of Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 18 starts with a grandfather who's wicked and repents. And the Lord has mercy on him, or he remains wicked. The Lord just keeps going back and forth has a son that though there's a wicked father, the son is righteous. The Lord blesses him. And then he has a son that is wicked. The Lord judges him. The point being, my ways are very fair and very equal. Hezekiah was the son of a wicked king who burned his own children to a pagan idol. The Bible tells us so. King Ahaz was his father. 
You know, at break time, we were wondering, what did poor Hezekiah do from five years of age to 25? Did he sit in church? Did he know where his father was worshiping? The only church they had in Jerusalem at that time was pagan. Did he hear private sermons from Isaiah? And he was preparing himself from the age of 10, from 15, from 20. When the Lord, when you remove this man out of my way, I will restore worship. Because he sure did it in a hurry, didn't he? First day in office. With all that blessing on Hezekiah and his renown throughout the nations, his son was the worst king of Judah, Manasseh. The Bible doesn't tell us a thing why, except that God had already ruled against Judah, and Manasseh was the worst king that would bring the sins up to a level where God would judge them with Babylon. But it didn't happen in Hezekiah's lifetime. I hope that there's young men, old men, young women, old women that want to be like Hezekiah, that we will put our trust in the Lord and never turn from him, that we will cleave to him, which is to hold on to him tightly that we will reform everything that needs to be reformed in our lives, that we will make the worship of God in this church great, that we'll humble ourselves when we do get lifted up in pride, that we'll call upon the Lord in our hours of trouble. He will hear and answer. Eleven chapters of the Bible, if you have any questions about them, I'll be happy to try to answer them. I may not have all the answers, but the passages are not that difficult. There is a lengthy, there is a writing in Isaiah 38, which is a little synopsis of Hezekiah's feeling about being sick, about being told he's not going to survive, and then about being given life. And it's, it's good to read because it tells some of the reasoning that was going through his heart as to why he asked the Lord and how he asked the Lord to give him more time that he wanted to teach his children the truth from father to child. And that, Lord, if I'm in the grave... The kind of praise that you're used to coming out of Jerusalem will end. It's, it's good. It's the last half of Isaiah 38. May the Lord bless the life of Hezekiah to you. Go read it again. What else are you going to do in the next 168 hours until we meet again? Turn Scorpion. Get your Bible. Read it again. Stop. Email me. Call me. We can learn 1% of the Bible in a couple of days. May the Lord bless us to put it into practice and be like Hezekiah.